first we're going to read from John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And we're also going to read from 1 John 4, verses 7 through 21. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. We are in a series called Abide. And this series is really all about... um, three things that we see in the Gospel of John, which is one of the accounts of Jesus' life. We see uh, that disciples of Jesus are called to abide in his word and prove to be his disciples. Today we're talking about abiding in his love so that the world will know who Jesus is. And next week we'll talk about abiding to bear fruit. And what we're seeing as we discuss this is that they are actually contingent upon each other. Abiding in the Word leads to abiding in love, which leads to bearing fruit. But if we're honest, our temptation is a lot of times to jump straight to the bearing fruit. We want to do things for God. But the issue is God has to do stuff in us before we can ever do anything from God, for God. Um, Because if we don't, it won't be for God, it'll be for ourselves. So we're looking at that today. And so uh, we've just read John 13, 34, and 35, and, and this new commandment that he gives says this, uh, to love just as I have loved you. Now that's a key phrase there, to love just as we've been loved. Uh, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So 
Jesus says, do you want to know how people will identify with me ultimately as their Savior? You want to know that? You want to know the secret sauce to how that happens? Love one another. Love one another in such a way that it causes people to ask questions where the source of your love is coming from because it's not about getting vengeance and revenge. It's about a, we have a different source that's welled up within us that enables us to love other people in the same way that we have been loved by God. So this is a really uh, kind of common theme to talk about love in the church. And so what I want to do right now is I'm going to just invite us to pray for a moment. And the focus of this prayer is that we would ask God to help us not assume that we have it all together or that we, we can never figure it out, but to ask God to come in and show us afresh what it means to be loved by Him and to love the world. So would you bow in prayer with me? Father, we, we just come before you this morning and we, we just confess that um, when we hear familiar things, that a lot of times we tune out the Holy Spirit. Uh, and so we're going to talk about some familiar things this morning. Lord, I pray that you would show us, maybe for some of us in this room, we're going to experience the Word of God in a way that shows us that God loves us. And we've, if we're honest, we've never really experienced that before. That's a huge moment. So some are going to experience that this morning. I, I really do believe that. And others of us, are gonna, we're going to be shown and revealed... Uh, how we are going to, to walk with you and to show love in a fresh way. And so, Father, I pray that you give us teachable, humble spirits this morning. That you would help us to keep from justifying ourselves, but to lay ourselves bare before you, and to let your spirit do work on our hearts this morning. So we pray all that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, let's get going now. So two points I want to make this morning. Uh, with some subpoints under there, but the two points I want to make is this. We first got to look at how love works in us. And the scriptures that we've read this morning, we're going to revisit them, but they have shown us that, how, how, how we get to uh, uh, have love inside of ourselves. So we're going to look at how love works in us, and then secondly, we're going to look at how love works through us. Now, we are tempted to spend most of the time talking about how love works through us, but the Bible actually spends more time talking about how love works in us. And so we're going to spend the majority of our time looking at how love works in us. And then I found when you, when you know the source of love, when you know who your dad is, as we've said before, you know how to live. So we've got to spend most of our time figuring out who our dad is, who our father in heaven is, and what he has done to save, redeem, and to show his love with us. So let's dig in. Uh, so I was at a tire shop. Uh, few months ago getting some work done on our minivan. Anybody else got a minivan in here? Yeah, you've joined the club. You have arrived in life. It's amazing. Just getting some work done on our minivan, and I was sitting in the little waiting area, and this particular shop had a TV. And so I go up, and I, I bring my laptop in. I'm going to try to get some work done, but everybody's just glued to this TV, and I'm like, what's going on? I, I look, at, I take my headphones out. I look at what they're watching. They're watching Jerry Springer. I mean, it's the show that never dies. I mean, it, it's probably the most unredeemable show on network television. But it just keeps going and going like the Energizer Bunny. It just keeps going. It's, a, it's amazing. And so, and lo, lo and behold, it was, uh, it was DNA test day, okay? It was, it was this situation uh, where this mom 
uh, came on the show and she had a baby and there were two men uh, that both said, hey, this is my, this is my son. And I, I'm not making light of the situation. I, it, it's going it's to make a point. They, they both said, hey, this is my son. And, uh, and so, you know, Jerry ramps it all up and it crescendos at the end of the show. And at the end of the show, uh, they do a DNA test and it proves who the dad is. So what's DNA testing do? It looks at the makeup of who you are. And the DNA that comes from the, the son and the dad and it matches up, it shows who the father is. I, I would, I would uh, put this before you today. As God's kids, we have his DNA. And the DNA test, is what the scriptures say, the DNA test is how well do we love those that are around us. That's how we show who our dad in heaven is. So how does love work in us? How does it work in us? First thing that we have to do to experience the love, God, love of God inside of ourselves is to surrender to love. Now surrender is not a, a term that we like to use much. It's a negative term, especially in Western Americanized culture. Surrender is a bad thing. But I want to propose to you that surrender, when it comes to the love of God, is a very, very good thing. Let's, let's look back at 1 John 4, 7 through 10 this morning. 1 John 4, 7 through 10 says this, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this love of God was made manifest among us. So God showed us how much he loved us, is what he's saying. That God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. So this word for love I've got to take some time and unpack what that word means. It's this, it's this Greek word, agape. Uh, now, this, this word is, is a word that's really hard for us to define in English language. But the only way that we love is through Jesus because the gift of Jesus' life is given in love, and that's the only thing that makes you and I lovable. Now, that's, that's hard to hear because we like to think that there are a lot of qualities about us that make us lovable. But what the scriptures are saying is that because of our, con our sinful condition, the only way that we're lovable is that God has to produce love inside of us by giving us himself. That's what makes you and I lovable and able to give love to others. Jesus, Jesus continues to intercede for us and the love of God for you is not based on your performance. Now, every other type of love that you and I have experienced and called love is based on how well we're doing. How well are we doing in this area? And if we're doing well, then we receive love, we receive accolades, and we receive the emotional feeling of love. But Jesus' love that he's talking about is so much different. Listen to uh, what David Benner says in his book, Surrender to Love. This is a long quote, but I'm going to walk through it slowly. Far from being a sign of weakness, only surrender to something or someone bigger than us is sufficiently strong to free us from our prison of egocentricity. 
A surrender to something so much bigger than us is the only way that we can be free from only thinking about ourselves is what he's saying. It's the only way that we can be free. Only surrender is powerful enough to overcome our isolation and alienation. Christians often focus on obedience more than surrender. That's the truth. Listen to what he goes on to say. But while the two concepts are closely related, they differ in important ways. As we shall see, surrender, don't miss this, is the foundation to Christian spirituality and is the soil out of which obedience should grow. Christ does not simply want your compliance. Jesus wants your heart. That's what he wants more than anything. He wants your heart. He wants our love, and he offers us his so we can experience his love. He invites us to surrender to his love, and Christianity puts surrender to love right at the core of our journey. Christ following is saying yes to God's affirming yes to us. If it is anything less than a response to love, Christ following is not fully Christian. I love that phrase. That Christ following is saying yes to God's affirming yes to us. If you and I are honest with ourselves, there are a lot of things we do not like about ourselves and we find utterly despicable and we spend our lives trying to hide from them and, and run from those situations. I mean, it's kind of like Jasmine's story. But Jesus produces something new in us. And it's not that we have to fight through all the baggage to get to it. It's a gift that he gives to us by grace. And we get to experience it instantaneously when the Holy Spirit makes our hearts alive. And so my question to you is this. Have you surrendered to that kind of love? Have you surrendered your life to a love that takes nothing from you but gives everything to you? Because that is the love that God has given to us if your thinking of love and your love toward God and others is fueled by anything other than God's unconditional love for you, it is not the type of love that God intends. I'm not saying we're supposed to take feelings completely out of love. That's part of it. But it is not the source and it never will be. Do you believe that the only thing that makes you lovable is Jesus? And do you see that as a really good thing? A.W. Tozer kind of expands on the idea and he says this, we have substituted theological ideas in place of an arresting encounter. Hmm. When's the last time the love of God caused you to pause and just consider, is this real? Am I really experiencing this right now? He goes on to say, we are full of religious notions, but our great weakness is that our is that for our hearts there is no one there. We try to produce something, but there's no relationship is what Tozer is saying. And that, I think that's the greatest myth that we could ever believe, that, that somehow if we just read about love and we talk about love, then maybe we'll experience the love of God. God has intended you and made you to feel His presence through the love of God. For you to know that without a shadow of a doubt. I mean, I love, in Deuteronomy 7, there's this passage, okay, and um, the people, God kind of writes this love note to Israel, but it's like one of those love notes that's like, um, I love you, but you're ugly, you know, those kind of love notes? This is kind of a, this is kind of the love note that he writes to them in De Deuteronomy 7, listen to this. 
For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. And they were clapping about this one. Yes, sir, we are. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for His treasured possession of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. And they are clapping and screaming. They are raising their hands. And then he goes on to this next line. But it was not because you were more in number than any of the other people that the Lord set His love on you. Oh, you mean it? Oh, okay. And chose you, for you were the fewest of all the peoples. You were to be pitied, to despised. But it's because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that He swore to your fathers. He's keeping a promise to you that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. What's he saying? God loves you because you're His and He loves you. There's nothing in your life that makes Him love you more or less. That would make Him conditional. There's nothing in Him that makes you lo- love you more or less. His, the thing we don't get about God is this. Sometimes we think that, that God looked down on us in our continual and habitual sin and smiled at our rebellion, and that's what love is. So just overlooking sin. That's not really what happened. Over and over again in the Bible, we hear God's hatred for sin. And he uses this even stronger word. He says that, that God shows wrath against sin. He pours out his judgment on sin. So how, do these two, how are these two things reconciled together? His anger and his wrath and his strong love and affection for us. How are those brought together? Well, in 1 John 4.10, there's this big $10 word, propitiation. challenge you to use that in a sentence this week while you're at work and see how it goes. He says, in this is love, not that we have loved God, not that we've shown Him something, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Propitiation is the reality of how God can be Filled with anger because we're so sinful and filled with love. It's how those two realities are reconciled. Propitiation is God's response to those two realities. And here's what God does. is He makes a way for you and I to be completely flawed and sinful, yet utterly and deeply loved individuals. This is what He does. And this is the love that He wants us to show to the world. If the source is anything else, we cannot show that type of love. Propitiation means that God has made Jesus the Son that He loved more than anything in the world, His only Son, the object of His wrath against sin. He set Jesus before us in love. In love, He sets Jesus before us so that we could be the object of His eternal love. The sin has to be dealt with. It has to be dealt with. And love has to be poured out. And those two realities have to come together for us to experience unconditional love. He goes on to talk about this idea of that's how we have confidence. It's because Jesus rose from the dead. Not because we've done good this week. That's how we have confidence in God. Most times... We think about expressing love, and the way it works is we see something that's lovable in someone else. You're really beautiful. I love you. You know, oh, you were so kind to that person. I love you. You did a great job at work today. I love you. You obeyed me fully. 
I love you. But what we see is something, something different in God. That, that agape love doesn't respond to value, but it creates value in us. It creates value in us. And because God creates value in us by setting His love on us, we can do the same in situations that are seemingly unlovable all around us. And Jesus says that this is supposed to make the world pause when they see this kind of love. Because we all know that it can't come from us. This is what he, what he, what he says in this. So surrender to love leads to two internal realities, okay? And these two internal realities, the first one is this. We have an appropriate self-love. You remember in John 13, it says we are to, to love as we've been loved. Matthew 22 says a similar thing. He says this, verses 36 through 40. When Jesus gets this question on, uh, the, the Pharisees are trying to trip him up, and they say, hey, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? And I, I envision them having that kind of a voice when they ask to. And he says this, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and prophets. Now, we skip over that and we think we got it. There's a key phrase in there. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. You see, what a lot of times we do is we think that we love ourselves well. There are two ditches, two extremes, two distortions that we jump in, that we're tempted to jump in, when it comes to love for self. Because love for self is not a bad thing. The distortion is when we love ourselves too much or too little. That's where we get into trouble. So the two distortions to receiving God's love, the first one is this, too much self-love. So what's this look like? You have no place for the love of others in your heart because you're only concerned for yourself. Every conversation you know, tends to come back to you. Whenever you're entering in, you, you can't wait to get back to talking about yourself in the situation. And the crazy thing about this, you know, every decision kind of centers around what's best for you. And the crazy thing about it is that most of the time it is unrecognizable to the person. They're completely unaware of it. They're unaware that the world centers around them. You know the way that you discover if this is you? You ask people that are close to you. What do you think? Am I, is this always about me? Is this a me party? You ask these questions. And the challenge for us is to surrender. To, to, to lay down your life before God and to let His love fill your heart. It is only then and there that you will have space in your love and in your heart for other people. When you are secure in your abiding. We're in this series abiding. Abide means to remain. It's only when we stay connected to the love of God that we can have an appropriate self-love and therefore, an appropriate love for others that Jesus intends. Second ditch, second extreme is no love for self. Now at first, this one looks pretty honorable because it looks like you're a really humble person. But really, as you begin to discover, you're always pandering after the love and affection of others. You're always wondering, what do they think of me? And listen, we've all gone in and out of this at times in our life. 
This isn't the type of self-love that God intends for us to have as we abide in Him. The reality is you're worn out because you're searching for significance in every relationship that you have, and you keep on running into closed doors, and you're tired, and you think in your heart that that's what it means to experience God's love. I have really good news for you. It's not. That's not what He has intended for you. Loving others in this place is impossible because you really don't think that you love, you really don't have any love for yourself. You don't see yourself as an image bearer of God intended to reflect His goodness to the world. But when we come to Jesus, we're able to love others appropriately because we are secure and centered in the fact that there's nothing that we can do can, that will make Jesus' love conditionally, conditional. As Romans 8 says, there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Not height, not depth, that we get away from Him, not width, not breadth. Nothing in all of creation can separate you from the love of God. And that, my friends, is what makes you secure. That is what the whole thing is about, is knowing that. And it's all wrapped up in this reality of who Jesus is to us. So the second kind of internal reality that we experience is this. We have a confidence against fear and against judgment. So 1 John 4, 16 and 17, I'll read it to you real quick, says this. So we have come to know and believe the love that God has for us. I want you to notice something about that phrase. It is a continual learning. We don't get it all at once. Our work is to remain in the love of God, and in that, we experience the love of God as we walk through life. We have to come to know it. God is love, and whoever abides in love, whoever stays in love, stays in God. And God abides in us. By this is love perfected. Listen to this. With us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as He is, so are we also in the world. And He goes on to say in verse 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Jesus wants to perfect us in love. Now, we'll never get there until we go to be with Him face to face. But man, the work is to remain in His love and it has these reciprocal benefits that the person that is well-loved has confidence. Not arrogance, but appropriate confidence. Where your well-being depends on no one other than Jesus. Your joy depends on no one other than Jesus because He is your source. Thomas Chalmers was a Scottish preacher. He lived about 175 years ago, and he preached this sermon one time. Look it up. You can find the PDF for free online. It's amazing. It's called The Expulsive Power of a New Affection. The Expulsive Power of a New Affection. And in this sermon, uh, he preaches... Uh, about love. He talks about it from 1 John. Um, and, he, and he says that our affections, or we might say our loves um, of the world, our flesh, and sin cannot be controlled by attempts to manage them. But they need to be replaced by a far greater affection. The affection of the gospel, the affection of Jesus. So, if we're honest, a lot of times spiritual discipline for us, which is reading the Bible, prayer, 
you know, being in community together, listening to the preaching of the Word, taking the sacraments, is really about us trying to manage and control our flesh. It's about trying to, trying to, trying to box it in so that people can't see it and it's kind of subdued. But the problem is it leaves this gaping hole inside of us that has given us an appearance of life for so long. And Jesus tells a parable that's really similar to this. I think it's in Matthew 12 where he talks about this person that was demon-possessed and how they, how they uh, had a, um, basically an exorcism. The demon was no longer there. And he says, well, the spirit came back and found the house, talking about the person, swept clean and put in order. And he says the spirit came back even stronger than it was there before because they had not filled that void in their life with anything. So friends, if we are trying to control our lives with legalism, pragmatism, moralism, anyism, we're trying to fill our lives with some kind of sin management tool, it will never lead you to an experience of deeper love in God. It'll never get you there. What Chalmers says is that it has to be replaced with the love of God, and the love of God swells inside of our hearts, and it pushes out the unbelief. And in it pushing it out, we focus on Jesus, and all of a sudden our lives just seem to make a lot more sense. We don't even have to give our attention to managing sin as much quite anymore. I'll leave you with a quote, and we'll go on to the next point. In the Gospel, Chalmers says, we so behold God that we may love God. So we, the first look at God is a look of awe. But a lot of times our first look at God is a look of us trying to, trying to hold on to Him and try to keep ourselves near to Him. And we fail to realize that His hold on us is much stronger than our hold on Him. That's the key thing about the love of God. He goes on to say, It is there... And only there where God stands revealed as an object of confidence to sinners. And where our desire after him is not chilled into apathy by the barrier of human guilt. So when Jesus begins to swell inside of our hearts, he holds us and we find confidence, not in how well we're doing in our fight against sin, but in how well he is holding us. How well he is loving us. Us. And you know what this leads to? His love working through us. The second point that we're looking at. 1 John 4, 7. And by the way, 1 John is kind of a commentary on John 13. It's talking all about the love of God. It's the same writer. John talks about this abiding in love. He says this in 1 John 4, 7. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God. He goes on to say in verse 21. And this is the commandment we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. So he gives us a test. A test to reveal how well we are doing at being loved by God. And he says the test is, how well are you doing at loving other people? Because there is a direct reciprocal effect on how well we're loving others and how well we're being loved by God. So he gives us kind of this, this paradox that we... We discover how well we're doing. It's easy for us to see how well we're loving others, right? It's easy to see, man, I wish I would have done something different in that situation, okay? Then he says, okay, go and ask yourself the question, what has broken in your view of God's love for you? Because there's something that's distorted. There's something not right. And we see that by how well we love others. David Allen says this, love is not like other subjects. It cannot be understood and then practiced. 
It can only be understood by practice. It's more like measles than math. I like that. So we think a lot of times that we can just go learn about something and then put it into practice. He says we experience the love of God through practice as He loves us in real time. Discipleship, friends, I would argue is this, is the process of Jesus reforming and replacing the loves in our lives. He is giving us the love of Jesus which changes the things that we love and how we love others. Uh, in, in college, there is a, there's a common narrative for us all. You know, maybe you have a science class and you have the lecture portion of the class, which is three or four credit hours. And then you've got this little half-hour credit class called a lab. Now, that lab, a lot of times, if we're honest, we're kind of like, man, I really got to go to that lab. I mean, it's only a half hour of credit. I really got to have the lab. And so what do we do a lot of times? We skip the lab. We don't want to go to the lab. We think, we falsely assume, that just because we've had the lecture, that we're good to go. But there's a reason that colleges put the lecture and the lab together. The lecture and the lab are so crucial because that is how we grow into being really embodied with whatever we've learned. The lecture and the lab and Jesus go together. That's why he always talks about the two together. That being loved by God and loving others are a simultaneous tension that we experience all of the time. So where is it in your heart this morning that, that maybe you're neglecting the lab component of growing in love? There's just someone in your life you're like, man, I am not talking. I'm not going back into that relationship. I'm not talking to them anymore. They've cut me too deeply. When we make those vows and ultimatums, they are, they are signs that something has went deeply wrong inside of us. Now, I'm not saying the relationship looks exactly the same as it once did, but if the root of bitterness has set a hook in your heart, we're in, we're in a danger zone because the love of God is malfunctioning in how we're receiving it. Those are the two dashboard lights that, that we use to see. And if you're having a difficult time identifying this in your life, some, in times in my life, there's been two things that we all have in our lives. Our bank account statement and our calendar. They reveal, about, they reveal a lot about how we're doing in love. If we're honest... They're real tangible. Maybe just sit down this week and say, how are we doing? How am I doing? And letting God love me and loving, loving others. How am I doing in that? Our, our focus and aim of love is first, guys, by being loved by God. And He finds us lovable because He set His affection on us. And He's loved us well. And His love is, is, is almost like in the solar system, you know, everything kind of revolves around the sun. His love is what our life revolves around, and it's what helps us to relate to one another. So without the sun, the planets would get all out of whack and they'd crash into each other and all kinds of stuff. But the sun centers us, centers the planets, and the love of God centers us, and it helps us relate properly to Him and properly to each other. C.S. Lewis, I want to leave you with this right here. He says this, Christian love, either towards God or towards man, is an affair of the will. Love in the Christian sense does not mean an emotion. It's a state, not of feelings, but of the will. 
a state of the will which we have naturally about ourselves and we must learn to have about other people. It is good to have the feelings as well. Lewis says about the affections that they also play their part. If they also play their part, so much the better. So sometimes the love of God is the kind of the training wheels to us loving others. There's nothing in the other person that's really lovely right now. But the love of God propels us, as the Scriptures say. If there's anything that I want you to hear today, it's this. God deeply loves you. And, and my heart is that it would, it would seep down past the cerebral notion down into a deeper level of you so that you can have the confidence that comes with knowing Jesus. Because that confidence, it casts out fear, which is the thing that terrified, we're all terrified, crippled by fear. The confidence that we have in the love of God is like that. And, and I, and I want to encourage you that even though you're not perfect in loving others, none of us are, we're being perfected. There's a situation where I was mowing the yard several years ago, and, uh, and my kids, they wanted to show me that they loved me. And so I get into the garage, and I'm filthy. It's like July and Georgia, enough said, right? I get into the garage, and uh, my kids bring out uh, a cup of water to me. And uh, I look at the cup, and I'm like, oh, this is going to be interesting. The cup, of water, the cup is dirty, and the water is hot. And I'm it's 110 degrees outside or whatever. And I got hot, dirty water. And they, they were so proud to hand me this cup of water. Daddy, I bet you're really going to enjoy this. And so I kind of choke it down a little bit. Mm, real good, guys. Thank you so much. And the point of me sharing that with you is this, is that God knows our proclivities. He knows our weaknesses. And when we step out on a limb in love, even though we don't do it perfectly, He receives it because it's come from Him even though it's not yet perfected. God is love. And He wants us to feel and know that with every fiber of our beings. And that changes everything about us. Let's pray. Father, we, um, we want to know this love that surpasses emotion. Father, I, I think about Jesus when He was on the cross and He he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Now, I have to believe that, that his emotions probably did not lead him to say that. Um, because he, he prayed and said, God, if there's any other way, take the cup. But there was a deeper love that he had for us and for you that enabled him to stay the course. And just like our kids, when we discipline them, they... They don't, they're not always going to walk out and say, man, Dad really loved me well today. But the truth is, is that we're showing our kids love in far deeper ways than emotion can ever lead us to. And God, my prayer for the church is that we would come to know and believe that, that there is nothing that you are ever doing that is not lovely and loving toward us. Push that into us this week. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.